I want to invite you, if you would, to take your copies of Scripture and turn to Galatians chapter 5. We are in our fifth week here. Uh, We will not go past week nine, but I want to. We have other things slated and we'll move on. But I want to camp out here for a while longer. But today and two more weeks. Galatians chapter 5. Here, uh, as we begin reading in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I want you to hear that uh, today. Uh, I hope that this is beginning to resonate in your mind and in your heart as you hear these words. They are going to be, again, particularly important for today. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Indira Gandhi, Desmond Tutu, Mother Teresa, Winston Churchill, George Lewis, Dwight Eisenhower, Nelson Mandela, Helen Keller, and Jesus Christ. What did all these have in common? Well, they all, along with others, are remembered at least in part for something they had to say about peace. All of them made contributions in some way toward what they understood was peace. But only one of them new, absolute, and perfect peace. And only one of them was successful in delivering peace. Jesus Christ. As we've already read, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He made peace by the blood of His cross. He alone was able to promise peace and deliver peace. He said it this way. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans wrote, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis wrote, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there 
There is no such thing. I want you to hear that. There is no such thing as peace apart from God. There is no such thing as peace apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no such thing. What all these people and all mankind desires, at least in some way, is happiness and peace. Even the most cruel and evil, evil rulers desire happiness for themselves, if not for others. That's what they want. They all have a desire to live in a world, even if it's a world that they've made, where at least they are happy and fulfilled. Some people want it only for themselves. Others want it for a small group of people. And then there are those whose boundaries are even larger and much broader. But what is true of all men, all men, is that there is a desire for peace, at least for themselves. The question is why? Why does mankind, why do men and women desire peace? Well, we have been talking about it, but I want us to point back to this because this is a worldview issue. Because we are image bearers of God. God eternally knows peace and has dwelt in peace within Himself in the Godhead. And even when rebellion entered into heaven with the revolution that was led by the archangel Lucifer and one-third of the angels, God remained at peace within himself and he remained committed to his eternal plan. As image bearers, we are designed to know, appreciate, and get this, experience peace. Why mention this? Well, because since Eve gave into the deceptive lies of Satan and ate of the forbidden fruit, and then Adam willingly chose to follow her and also ate, sinning against God, the peace they had with God was broken immediately. And consequently, the peace they enjoyed with one another was broken. Peace disrupted. What was lost? Well, peace with God. Peace with each other. Peace within themselves. What do we struggle with? Every human, apart from God, struggles with peace with God, peace with those who are around them, even those who are most close to them, and peace within themselves. We struggle. And since the first sin and the loss of peace, all humanity has struggled. Listen to these things. Tell me if you can remember and identify some of them, biblically and even in your own time, lifetime. Maybe even in your own life. Brothers have killed brothers. Relationships have been broken, never to be reconciled. Men and women, the young and the old, have struggled inwardly with anxiety and depression. People and nations have been at war. People have been annihilated. And so it is understandable when I think of it and see it in these terms that men and women from all backgrounds, and if you listen to the names of those that we recounted, we're only a few, but from all backgrounds have and continue to seek peace. So what is our aim today? Well, our aim is this, to define Christian peace. And I want to qualify this by saying 
that Jesus does say that there is something that the world will offer you, but it is not peace. It is not the peace that He is speaking of. It is not the peace that He promises in Himself. So we want to look at what is Christian peace. The only lasting peace. The only perfect peace. We want to consider two dimensions of peace. I'm giving you your outline if you're taking notes. Okay? We want to look at the source of peace. We want to consider how we obtain peace. And we want to see how we keep peace. And then in closing, we want to see how we can look at peace and know peace as fruit of the Spirit, how it reflects the glory of God in a fallen world. So I'll go back through that again if you want to jot it down. We're going to define peace, what Christian peace is. What are the two dimensions of Christian peace? What is the source of Christian peace? How do we obtain Christian peace? How do we keep Christian peace? And then how does Christian peace reflect the glory of God in a fallen world? When you think of peace, what do you think of? Well, most of us will think of the absence of conflict. That's what we'll think of. When we hear of peace in a geopolitical sense, we think of nations choosing to cooperate or at least to coexist without the ongoing threat of war. We often speak of parties being peaceably and acting and living peaceably with one another. And this certainly is an aspect of peace. But when we consider Christian peace, what are we speaking of? Well, I want to read a few biblical texts. You may want to write these down. You may have an opportunity to turn to some of them. All of them are in the New Testament. All of them are in Paul's letters. So if you just kind of find that section of your scripture, you may be able to turn to them, but at least write these down. I want to read them. And then from these texts, we are going to create and, and come to a working definition of what Christian peace is. Because you see, if we don't know what Christian peace is, we're going to struggle if we are looking to obtain it, and we are not going to know if we have it. And God's intent, remember, is for us to experience that, to know what it is and to experience it. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. You may even want to jot those primary words down. No confusion, peace. Colossians, Paul writes, Colossians 1, 19 through 20. We read part of it a moment ago. For in him, meaning Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That last phrase making peace by the blood of his cross is significant for our definition and your definition of christian peace ephesians 2 13 through 16 paul writes but now in christ jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of christ for he himself is our peace 
who has made us both one and has broken down uh, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. We hear unity. We hear reconciliation. That's going to be important for us as we begin to put together uh, a definition. John 14, 27, Jesus writes, Peace I leave with you. John writes, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So we see that peace is directed where? To the heart of man. It's going to be, again, important. Romans 15, 13, Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And then Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, Verses 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So peace also not only is directed to the heart, but peace is directed where? To the mind. Okay, so we have the framework uh, for coming up with a working definition of peace. And I want us to think through this because any other definition of peace would not be a valid definition. The only valid definition of peace is from the one who is peace and gives peace and he has given it to us in his word. Now, I'm giving us a working definition. So it's a an abbreviated definition. There's more that can be said about peace. But in the context of defining peace, this is what we want to do. Christian peace is, and if you're, again, if you're a note taker, jot down key phrases, and I'll bring you back to those key phrases. Christian peace is a subjective feeling of the heart and a state of mind that is informed by and grounded in the objective work of Christ's atoning death, which brings order to where there is confusion, calmness to where there is fear, reconciliation to where there is separation, unity to where there is division, tranquility to where there is anxiety, and hope to where there is despair. All right, let me read that again. Christian peace is a subjective feeling of the heart. That's our, our hearts normally deal with subjective things, okay? Peace is a subjective feeling of the heart and a state of mind. So it has something to do with how we think. Because how we think often affects our heart, remember, Okay? that is informed by, 
That's a key that is informed by and grounded in the objective work of Christ's atoning death. Which brings order to where there is confusion. Where did we get that? 1 Corinthians, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So it brings order to where there is confusion. We sang about that just a moment ago. I don't know if you saw that in uh, in Be Still My Soul, spoke of the order that God brings in the course of disturbance. He brings order there. So order where there is confusion, calmness where there is fear. What is it that Jesus was communicating to his disciples? He said, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In other words, remain calm. Remain calm. Don't be fearful. Okay? Reconciliation to where there is separation. Remember, we've already read Colossians 1, 19 and 22 times already. You'll hear it again before the end. But it is about Christ reconciling all things, how? Through the blood of His cross. Okay? So reconciliation to where there is separation. Notice what else as we go along there. Unity to where there is division. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus that they are being made one. So there was a division there, and now there is unity. Tranquility to where there is anxiety. What did we hear in Philippians? He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in other words, a tranquility comes over us. Why? Because in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, we bring to God. So tranquility where uh, there is anxiety. And then finally, hope to where there is despair. Hope to where there is despair. I belabored that. But everything else that we'll have to say this morning will come out of that definition. You know, we consider these texts, we recognize that peace, and we've already stated it, is objective and subjective. Peace is grounded in an objective work. Okay? Now you may you say, okay, we, 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 have, we covered that with joy. We covered that with love. We, we covered that in the beginning uh, with saying that uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is, is an objective work. You know why? Because everything that God does is an objective work. It is objective in the sense that He has a purpose and a reason for doing it. And there is an actual act connected with everything that God does. He's just that intentional, and He is here. It is an objective work, and Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, states, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man, in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, Christ has done an objective work on the cross, a work that is specific to bringing peace. We read it earlier. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He has by His atoning work on the cross reconciled us to God and reconciled us to each other. Unity and order have been established with God. Listen to that again. Unity and order have been established with God. Listen to what Jesus prayed just before He was arrested. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's talking about us, okay? For those of us who have believed. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. That's huge. That's incredible. That may be made it may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them. That they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father. I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Is there any misunderstanding about what Jesus is petitioning? It is about unity and reconciliation and being made whole with God. He has made us one with Himself and He has made us one with each other and that is the objective work. That is objective peace. Now let's track along for you just a minute. And I'm not getting into the psychology of things today. I wish we could. We just don't have time. Now we've stated that peace is also subjective. Now think about this with me for a moment. Let's consider subjective peace. What are we talking about? Let me use this example. When nations are at war and they fought long and hard, an army has fought long and hard, and lives have been lost, and soldiers are continuing to be sent into battle knowing that some will certainly die. What happens when word reaches the troops that a peace agreement has been signed and that the war is over? What happens? Well, what follows is the immediate relief and subjective feeling and informed thinking grounded in what? Grounded in the objective work of the peace agreement. So in other words, the flood of peace that rushes through their minds and their souls and their hearts to give them relief at the moment is grounded where? It's grounded in the fact that the peace agreement has been signed. It has been done. And this is why Paul in writing to the Ephesians states that the gospel is a gospel of peace. In other words, 
It's good news that reaches the minds and hearts of those who trust in Him that there is peace and there is no longer division and there is no longer disunity and there is no longer a war with God and therefore should no longer be fighting among us. Paul said it this way. He said, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And this is going to be huge in just a little bit. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by what? The gospel of peace. Now here's how that's significantly important. And hope-filled to us as believers but also to every person in here and every person who will come under the sound of the gospel who has not yet trusted Christ. So if you're here, and you are, and you haven't trusted Christ, and some of you have not yet professed Christ, listen, this is, this is incredible for you. You are looking for peace. You are going to long for peace your whole life. And there is only one place to find that peace, and that is in Jesus Christ and His objective work. Listen, Christian peace is an eternal peace. It is good news. It is an eternal peace. Remember, Jesus said, I give you peace, not as the world gives. Adam mentioned just a moment ago, Whenever he was here, there are things that may resemble peace, but there is nothing that is lasting in an individual's life if that individual does not know God because God is the one who is perfect peace and eternal peace. The objective work of Christ is a work that God planned for all eternity. Not only does Christ's death and resurrection stand as an objective historical fact based on the actual human act in history, in human history. But they stand as acts carried out by God in God's eternal plan of redemption. Did you get that? We can look back on it historically because it happened only because God had planned for it to happen for all eternity in His eternal redemptive plan. So while the subjective feelings of peace may fluctuate, and at times they do, the objective work behind the feelings stand as constant, which means that in Christ there is endless peace. This is the reason believers can be assured that their peace will be endless. This is the reason that as an unbeliever, if you are longing for peace and at your very heart you're crying for peace and you're struggling inwardly, just know that eternal peace comes from Christ alone. And that it is in Him you can have eternal peace. The eternal Christ is the source of of all peace. So for any unbeliever, please know that trusting in Christ brings this peace. How do you obtain peace? Well, by trusting. We sang about it. We read about it earlier today in our confession. 
But in Romans 15, 13, Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How? In believing. That's what he says. In believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Peace with God. Peace with man. Peace within oneself comes when a person is justified by faith. That's what Paul said. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And peace with God precedes peace with each other. It precedes everything that has to do with any lasting peace, any real peace. It precedes peace within your own heart and your own mind. Let's track along with this thinking that Paul gives in Romans. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because peace has been made. Don't condemn yourself. No one else can condemn you. What is it that brings about struggles and anxiety and depression? Most of the time, it's the weight of a feeling of guilt and condemnation. But a person in Christ Jesus has no place for that. There's no room for that. There is no place for you to see yourself in any less place than being a son or daughter of God. On equal standing with every other Believer, every other son or daughter of God. Paul goes on and writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. How does that relate to peace? Well, it tells me that my peace will be challenged, if you will, circumstantially, but my peace does not go away. And that even as we sang this morning in our opening hymn, and we have sung already in two other hymns, who is it that directs all the things that come to us? God. God. Sickness came through the hand of God. Financial failure came to the hand of God. Hardship and difficulty in relationships and family came through the hand of God. I was, someone shared with me about a friend of mine last night, and I had not heard, but some of you would know the person, uh, but I just want to just share the story. Great young man, great preacher, great theologian, everything perfect seemingly in his life. His wife is up on a ladder, falls, hits her head, changes her disposition because of the brain damage, and she goes from living as a devout believer to living the exact opposite. Brings about challenges and struggles in the home, uh, there is separation, uh, there is divorce, uh, and in the course of this, this young man falls and fails in the course of that, and everything in his world collapses around him. And after I heard, I prayed, it's been heavy on my heart, I've continued to pray for him, 
going to continue to pray for him. But I was reminded that those were unwelcomed circumstances. They were undesired circumstances that dramatically impacted everything about that family's life all from the fall off of a ladder. But where did it come from? It came from God. And then we read in Romans 8, 31 through 35, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And then hear this, who shall separate us from the love of God? What's the point? The point is, is that peace is obtained by trusting in Christ. Now, if peace is obtained by trusting in Christ, trusting in Him, how do we keep it? Well, we keep peace by continuing to trust in Christ. To what degree? Here's where what Adam said and what our confession pointed to that becomes so significant for us here today as we individually wrestle with peace in our homes, Peace in our relationships and peace in our own mind regarding circumstances and past failures and past circumstances. Hear this. We keep peace, the author of Hebrews tells us in 1214, by striving for peace. The author of Hebrews writes, strive for peace with everyone, listen, for the whole for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What does that word strive mean? Well, let's look at some of its uses and then we can begin to understand what's being said here. Jesus used it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. He said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. That word persecute is the same word that Paul, that the writer of Hebrews uses for strive. So he could have, could have said, it was, it was a slip, I know. We can't help it. We read Hebrews and we, we say Paul, but we don't know who it was, Okay. But anyway, we look at that and what could have been said there is persecute for peace. Okay? That's what Jesus said. Use that same word. And he said, for those who are being persecuted. Luke, in recording what Jesus said to Paul on the road to Damascus, said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me why are you striving me so how do we fight for peace we fight for peace by putting to death the flesh that's what the author of hebrews is talking about 
Listen, that's what Paul writes to the Colossians, but we're going to make the connection back in Galatians in just a second. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 15, just listen to portions of this. I won't read it all. You can read it all. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he has a litany or a list, just like we had in Galatians chapter 5 when it says, walk by the Spirit. He goes on to say, but now you must put them all away. In other words, you persecute them and you continue to persecute them in pushing them away. He says, seeing that you have put off that old self or you are pushing it away, then you put on the new self, which is being, get this, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Why do we strive and long for peace? Why do we desire peace? Because we are created in the image of God. As we push into righteousness and push away from sin, then our knowledge of and our ability to be able to focus on peace and work toward peace is enhanced. Why? Because we are being renewed in the knowledge of our Creator, the one whose image we bear. In verse 12, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then he goes through this litany, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Sounds a lot like what? Fruit of the Spirit. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together, how? In perfect harmony. In other words, in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now I want you to notice how close this is with what Paul was writing to the Galatians. So we're in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 16 it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. He goes on to say again, live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. What does he do? He gives us the desires. He talks with us about the desires of our flesh that stand opposed to who? The Spirit of God who lives within us. There is a direct relationship between righteousness and peace. Adam pointed us to that in our confession this morning. Jot these down. I want to give you a few verses. We're going to work through this. And we're going to close. Kind of, this is going to kind of sum us up here. Okay? In Psalm 85.10, the psalmist writes this. Hear this. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. You want to hear it again? Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. There's a relationship between righteousness and peace. In Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 17. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. 
the effect of righteousness will be peace, objectively and subjectively. How do we know that? And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. In other words, the quietness, the calmness flows out of the righteousness that results in peace. Because there is objective peace, now there can be a quiet and calm spirit and trust forever. You get that? Did you hear that? In Isaiah 48, 18, we read it earlier. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river. Like what kind of river? We sang about it. Like a glorious river. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. And your righteousness like the waves of the sea. You see the, see the connection? Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. They would have just, it would have just kept coming and peace would have kept coming and running like the river and the righteousness would have kept hitting the shore like the waves. Romans 14, 17. Hear this. For the kingdom, we read it last week, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of what? Of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then in James 3.18, we hear these words. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, Christian peace. Anybody remember? It is the subjective feeling of the heart and a state of mind that is informed by and grounded in the objective work of Christ's atoning death that results in what? Tranquility replaces anxiety. Calmness replaces fear. Reconciliation replaces separation. Unity replaces division. All of those things. Now, just in closing, how does that reflect the glory of God in a fallen world? All right. We won't look anywhere but in Galatians chapter 5 or Galatians as a whole. So just open up there for just a minute and I want to point to a few things in closing. Paul has argued, we've already said, that justification is by faith alone. That is his argument in Galatians. We have read that. We heard it again in Romans, but that is what he said. It comes by, justification comes by faith, not by the keeping of the law. We can't keep the law, okay? So what he says in chapter 5, he says, for 
freedom, in verse 1, Christ has set us free. Has set us free. Okay? We are set free and delivered from the bondage of the law. Not the reality of what the law, the law speaks about in revealing to us the righteousness of God and His holiness, but the bondage of our inability to keep the law, which results according to the law in death. We have been justified by faith in Christ's atoning work alone. Not by our keeping of the law. Therefore, we have been set free. And Paul argues we have been set free to keep the law. We've been set free to keep the law. Look in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. In other words, you have been set free to keep the law. All right? Now, how does peace then serve to us keeping the law, being free to keep the law, to bring about love in a way that reflects the glory of God in Christ. Well, we read it just a little bit ago, but I want you to hold your place there in Galatians and turn back to John 17. And I want you to hear that text again in light of this. And then the light's going to come on. In verse 20, John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. Okay? That the world may believe that you sent me. What is the greatest struggle today in the world that we live in, in our culture? Is the rejection of Jesus Christ, by and large, being what? Being the one that God has sent. Being the Messiah. The Jews stand against Him being sent of God. Others argue against that He is sent of God. Muslims argue that He is sent of God, that He is the Messiah, that He is the one to bring salvation. And everything, and Jesus knows this, He anticipates this, but He also knows that it exists then. So these disciples' immediate testimony, and all we have to do is go back and look at the first sermons and Acts, and that was the point. Just know that Jesus came, and He's the one that God has promised. That's what Peter preached at Pentecost. And he died and he rose again. And his resurrection stands as witness and testimony of the power of God to raise him because he is the Son of God. That is what Jesus is saying here. So how does it reflect the glory of God? Well, one, 
our being at peace with God and with others being one together in the body of Christ, but also demonstrating in the course of our actions in the care and concern for others ultimately reflects the glory of God and intentionally does so because we said last week that joy is grounded in what? That joy is grounded in the conscious hour, conscious reality of the glory of God in Christ. That's where our joy flows from. It's the conscious reality of the glory of God in Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Press on. He said, and we know that because in verse 22 he says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Our oneness in Christ Jesus and our oneness in God is not something that is hidden and covered up. It is not something that is masked. How do we know that? All we have to do is go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said that you are a light, and what do you not do with a light? You don't put it under a bushel tub. You don't put a covering over the light if you intend for the light to shine. In other words, this light cannot be masked, and we know that is true because it wasn't masked in Christ, because we go to John's Gospel, chapter 1, in the very beginning of that prologue, what do we hear? That He is light, and what could not overtake it? Darkness could not overtake it. The point is, is that this is a supernatural work. And is the reason why when Jesus says that this is a peace that passes all understanding, is that this is a supernatural work that in this peace brings us together and binds us together in such a way that we love and care for each other in the body of Christ and we seek to love and care for those outside for the purpose of reflecting the glory of God in Christ. That's the general framework. The next two weeks we will look at characteristics. Again, fruit that is, flows out of and dangles from, if you will, the main branches of love and joy and peace that serve us in the body of Christ so that we can reflect and be filled with righteousness and joy and hope and peace as is promised in Christ. Now, I want us to intercede. Nothing can or will alter the objective peace because it is grounded in the objective work of Christ and His atoning work. That stands. You can't change it. 
You can't turn it up. You can't say it didn't happen. You can't say it doesn't exist. You can't cover it up. You can't hide it. We can't do a thing with that. It stands there. That peace is there. It is towering. It is spewing out just like that erupted reactor in Chernobyl. It is spewing out and it just nothing stop. It just spews out. It's there. There is, however, and I know this is true in my own life. Listen, and I know it's true of some of you, if not all of you. There is and has been and will be at least a possibility of the fluctuation of the subjective peace that is demonstrated in our heart. Why do you think that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, have you ever looked at the portions of that? You see one of the larger portions that he deals with is anxiety. Why? Because we are prone not to trust and rest in the objective work of God for his children. And he is so simple and plain in telling us that if God looks after a sparrow and he looks after a flower, my goodness, don't you think he's going to look after his children? I don't know many mamas that will nurture a rose in the rose garden more than she seeks to nurture her children. In sin, we could. But God ain't that way. Why in the world do you think when we get to Philippians that Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Be anxious in what? Nothing. Don't be anxious in anything. Why? Because we are prone to be anxious. And there are all kinds of things that bring about anxiety. I mentioned one of them just a moment ago, unwelcome circumstances. Sickness, job loss, struggling marriages, past failures, the past failures of others, deaths of loved ones, carrying guilt that you should never carry about things that you hadn't, you didn't do that you should have done or that you did do that you shouldn't have done. Hidden things that nobody knows about that you'll worry yourself sick over if somebody finds out about them. Why do I mention that? Is our subjective peace fluctuates. So here's how I want to pray today. We're going to intercede for each other. If you need prayer, and we're a family, okay? If you need prayer regarding issues of inward peace because of the way you think, the way you feel, even today, 
I just want you just to raise your hand. If you'll be honest, just raise your hand. Okay? All right? Brothers and sisters, look. All right? You saw folks raise their hands. We're going to intercede for each other today. Why? It's because we can be filled with peace. How? Christ has made it possible. We strive for it. Persecuting thoughts that don't honor Him. Persecuting things in our life that rob us. Doing away with things in our life that rob us of being able to rest in Him. Let's pray for each other today. Father, we're grateful today that you are the God of all peace and comfort. We're grateful today, God, that the Lord Jesus Christ died that we may be reconciled to you, reconciled to each other. And in that, Father, that there is therefore now no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. And that there is nothing that will or can ever separate us from you. And that everything that comes about in our life is for your good and your glory. And in that, Father, because Christ has already asked you to give us the glory that you gave him, it will be glory for us as well. God, we know these things. But in our sinfulness, Lord, there are times we confess today that we don't trust in those things and we don't trust in You. That we hold on to things that we should release. We don't confess things that we should confess. That we worry about the things that we can't know. And we worry about things that we couldn't do anything about them even if we did know. Father, our days often are spent with worrying about tomorrow. And our days are often spent with the drudgeries of our failures of yesterday. And God, we come to You today and we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that You would fill us with Your peace that the reality of the objective work that He has done for us would flood our minds informing us, Father, so that our hearts will be filled and that we will live lives that reflect resting in You and being at peace with others, peace with You, and peace within ourselves. God, we cry out to You today for those that are struggling right here in our body with anxiety. Those who woke up this morning anxious. Father, we ask, Lord, that You would bring a calming to their heart and to their mind. Father, we know that there is nothing in them that You cannot reveal and that You cannot deal with because You have made them and You have saved them. And then, Father, for those of us that You have willed today to be difficult for us with whatever it is that we have in our lives, God, we cry out to You today 
to also reveal to us the reality that you are and will sustain us for your glory through this. And then we cry out, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For you are the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer. Thank you for preaching to our soul today and helping us to preach to our soul. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on our side. Oh God, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen.